Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Ben Levno from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test and focus interview with Dr. Andrew McEwen. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today we'll be discussing the perennioplastic vision loss eval. But before we get started, we've got Dr. McEwen here today. Could you please provide us with a little background on yourself, sir? I'm a director of the Neuroimmunology Laboratory also a consultant in the Department of Neurology. So I have a joint appointment between uh, lab medicine and pathology and neurology. And today, like I said, we're going to talk about the perineoplastic vision loss evaluation. So Dr. McCone, can you just give us a brief overview on what this test is? Thank you, Ben. Uh, the test is to test patients who have a vision loss problem occurring in the setting of cancer. But the vision loss problem is not secondary to cancer spreading to the eye or to or due to an eye tumor. This is related to the immune response against the tumor. So many cancers, particularly small cell cancers of the lung or small cell cancers in other places of the body, express nervous system proteins. And in certain patients, the immune system gets revved up against those proteins and then produces an immune response against those same proteins expressed in normal eye. And this can result in either an inflammatory disease of the eye, an ophthalmitis that we see with CRIMP5 antibody, or a degenerative type retinopathy known as perineoplastic retinopathy or cancer-associated retinopathy that we see with uh, patients who express or who um, produce the recovering antibody. And you mentioned their CRIMP5 antibody and Recoverin antibody. Are those the only two antibodies involved in this particular uh, evaluation? That's exactly right, Ben. So these are really the only two antibodies that have been validated um, in our hands for this purpose. And I think we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I just want to make sure that everyone understands how this testing is constructed. So those two antibodies, are they both tested up front? And then if so, are there any reflexes in this evaluation? Yeah, so we screened for both antibodies up front, uh, CRIMP5 antibody by our standard assay that we've used for many years for this by tissue indirect immunofluorescence assay, and then screen for recovering antibody on an immunoblot assay. If the CRIMP5 is positive, then uh, it reflex to a titration for that antibody and for a confirmatory assay for CRIM5, we don't have any reflexes from the, from the recovery. Okay. And what will the results look like when a physician orders this test? Will they just get a positive or a negative, or are there uh, tighter levels that are more significant? Can you help us understand that? Yes. Yeah, so for CRIM5, we have always reported a a semi-quantitative value known as a titer, and we will continue to do that for this particular test. There isn't really any specific clinical association with one titer or another, but that's it's down more to tradition, and sometimes people like to get comparative titers as time goes on. 
and they have sometimes have some utility in terms of evaluating for you know relapse later on because some of the CRIM5 patients can start with an optic nerve problem or an ophthalmic problem and develop other neurological problems later on that may signify cancer relapse. For recovering, we don't. We don't offer a, a titer. It's just a straight positive negative. This testing, like a lot of our autoimmune testing, is going to confirm the diagnosis based on the patient presentation that you described just a few minutes ago. Is that right, sir? Yes. Yeah, so I think this is really a, a test that's directed at neuro-ophthalmology, ophthalmology and neurology practice. And so the, these would be uh, patients who present with subacute vision loss, non-painful. For the CRIM5 patients, the, the ophthalmologist may observe uh, inflammatory cells in the anterior chamber or may observe uh, evidence of retinopathy by a number of different studies, including electroretinogram. In the right patient, the right context, you know, smoker, adult patient, it may prompt consideration of a paraneoplastic cause. Right. It sounds like this, like a lot of our tests, again, are a pretty rare patient population. Do you have any other advice on when physicians should be ordering this test? I think it's really for people with, without an established paraneoplastic diagnosis where they're presenting with vision loss that doesn't seem to be optic neuritis and doesn't seem to be kind of other ophthalmic disorders, but where you know, either a retinopathy or an inflammatory ophthalmitis is more the consideration. The, the latter group, these ophthalmitis cases, you know, they, they sometimes can mimic metastatic disease. So some, some number of these cases would have been misdiagnosed as having metastatic disease to the eye when cells would be seen um, on the slit lamp exam within the eye. Uh, people would presume that these are actually cancer cells, but uh, sometimes these patients would have undergone biopsies of the eye and the pathology would have would demonstrated that in fact there was no cancer there but there were lymphocytes and other inflammatory cells present. You mentioned that these patients exist today and uh, our testing is brand new so what testing is currently available on the market? Um, maybe you can explain that and, and how is ours different than what's currently available? Right so I think there's kind of broader concepts of paraneoplastic and autoimmune retinopathies beyond CRIM5 and recovering. And while we've no doubt that such things exist, and our own opinion at the moment is that these are the two biomarkers that we can say hand and heart are reliable and specific. There are other broad panels out there of autoantibodies uh, available for potential diagnosis of autoimmune retinopathy, but we've not included any of those biomarkers in this evaluation. And why haven't we, sir? We haven't included them because just from our own clinical practice, we have not had a very good experience with uh, the specificity of these tests. And we've come across them in many patients who have ultimately had non-autoimmune diagnoses. But sometimes that has been after you know, considerable testing and in many cases, treatment of patients where ultimately we determined that there is another cause underlying the, uh, the vision loss. We've talked about Recoverin and CRIP5. I know Recoverin is a brand new test for us. Is that also going to be available as a standalone uh, where clients could order that? And, and maybe if so, could you elaborate on when that would be appropriate to order by itself? Sure. I, yes. So the, the Recoverin antibody will be offered as a standalone test. 
we want to have a little bit of flexibility with this one because a lot of patients, you know, will have historically had CRIM5 antibody testing that was negative, you know, as part of another evaluation. And so I think ordering the recovery in, in those patients will be appropriate. And then there are also probably some circumstances where you have people who are sort of uh, very focused on retinal disease, you know, retina experts in academic practice who would kind of say, you know, this is not CRIM5, you know, I'm thinking this is recovering. And so they, they'll want that test as a, as a standalone. And, you know, so I think that's, it's appropriate to have it as a separate test. I think this is really helpful, a very rare population, some new testing. Are there any other complementary tests that our audience should know about, maybe separate from autoimmune testing that helps to guide a diagnosis of perineoplastic retinopathy or the cancer-associated retinopathy? In general, you know, these patients, if this is suspected, the patient should be evaluated by an ophthalmologist and have a slit lamp exam and have whatever additional testing is needed on the basis of the history. And that could include visual field testing, OCT testing, which is ocular coherence tomography, electroretinogram, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that that we're hoping that people will order the testing on the basis of a well-established phenotype. And that should be done by an ophthalmologist. It wouldn't be kind of a test that you order in, in patients with blurred vision, really not otherwise specified. Most commonly, that turns out to be dry eye, you know, and that's a very, very common problem. So this is really niche testing for a specific subset of patients with specific clinical findings in the eye clinic where there is a risk factor for cancer, particularly small cell carcinoma. Great. I think that's really clear. But just to review, is the autoimmune testing ordered before those other tests at the same time or after? The testing tends to be ordered in the ophthalmology clinic or sometimes in the collaborating neurologist clinic after there's been an ophthalmic exam and these kinds of things are on the differential diagnosis. So it's, it's not something that would be ordered as a screening test in a person with blurred vision that hasn't been assessed. And I think you've already touched on this a couple of times, Dr. McKeown, but I think a good place to end is how this testing is going to help patient care. Referring back to the struggles in this area with this patient population currently, and then how our test is going to be able to help direct a diagnosis or maybe prognosis and treatment. Can you talk about those things? Sure. If we were to take the CRIM5 patients, you know, the, these patients often have an inflammatory eye disease that's responsive to corticosteroids, um, either given systemically uh, by mouth or intravenously, or sometimes intraocular. Uh, injections of steroids by an ophthalmic surgeon. So the other things to bear in mind are that this can be indicative in those patients of other problems that may evolve down the line, such as ataxias, encephalopathy, spinal cord disorders, peripheral neuropathies. And in my experience, some of these patients have treatable problems. These CRIM5 patients, you know, they, they actually do respond to immunotherapy. The other thing that to segue between CRIM5 and Recover, and the thing that unify them is the cancer type. And so searching for occult small cell carcinoma by CT imaging or PET-CT imaging of trunk. Sometimes these are very small tumors, possibly because of the lead time to cancer diagnosis being shorter because of the neurological presentation or due to immunological factors that endow the patient with a good anti-tumor response as well as having a bad neurological problem. 
but in those cases, you know, sometimes we don't find cancer the first time and it's a, we're looking at repeating imaging every six months for up to three years to find the cancer, but the predictive value is very high. So while these are rare disorders, we're talking about a 90% positive predictive value for cancer. While CRIMP5 is associated with thymoma also, in my experience, this particular presentation of the eye disease is small cell carcinoma associated predominantly. Now on the treatment side for recovering, unfortunately, this is a rare disorder, so there isn't a lot of literature on it, but from what I've seen, it does not seem to be a particularly immunotherapy responsive disorder. And so progressive vision loss, uh, often starting as difficulty with nighttime vision, floaters, a gradual narrowing of the visual fields ultimately can lead to blindness. So are there any additional patient presentations that would be, have been found with recovering? Nothing really that specific. We sometimes have found just offline testing in the lab that we find recover and accompanying other small cell lung cancer associated antibodies with a diverse array of different neurological problems presentation, but they tend to have kind of very low value recovering numbers on our testing. They're positive, but just about positive. Whereas our patients with the eye disease, which is really the only specific neurological manifestation have much higher values than that. And so they're kind of well clear of the cutoff. So they, but sometimes that's the way these patients with small cell lung cancer who have these kind of autoimmune responses, these paraneoplastic disorders, they often have this kind of multifaceted antigenic response and produce a multitude of different neuronal antibodies. I think this testing can really help physicians in having a higher degree of confidence in diagnosing this rare disorder. But I also think the information here today can help us better understand you know, when this testing is appropriate to order and when it's not. So thanks a lot for clarifying that today, Dr. McKeown. Sure, you're very welcome, Ben. I'll also acknowledge that at Mayo Clinic Laboratories, our neuroimmunology lab directors are always available with any kind of autoimmune neurological related questions. So if there are any questions about when to order this test or what to do with the results, they can really reach out to us anytime, right, Dr. McKeown? Yeah, absolutely. 507-266-3196. Or you can uh, contact me on my email, lastname.firstname at mayo.edu. Perfect. Well, thanks again. I'm really excited about how this test is going to be able to help patients and help our physicians. Thanks a lot. And, uh, you know, we look forward to talking again soon. Okay. Thanks very much, Ben. I really appreciate the interest. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.